The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. Palm branches have brought us to the end of Lent. So over the past few weeks, the readings have been showing us that God's kingdom invites us right now, right here in this place, to move from feeling, often we we feel empty, to a feeling of fullness, from brokenness to being made new. We we reminded ourselves on Ash Wednesday that uh, in the the passage that Paul was was, reading, Paul said, I forget what the actual passage was, but your salvation, he says, is for you right now in this present moment. Often uh, people have seen that Palm Sunday is one of kingdom significance. It's Palm Sunday that Jesus enters Jerusalem as the triumphant king. He marches into his capital city and begins to make changes with how things go, right? Think of the events of Holy Week. He upsets the tables and the money changers in the temple. He begins to say things that get him in really, really big trouble. And in one week, he goes from being, you know, hailed as the king to being hung on a cross. And sometimes, though, when we talk about God's kingdom, we can get confused at what this actually is. And so uh, I've, uh, I found a, a great definition to help us this morning to think through what is, what is God inviting us into? And so the slide, there's a slide that I have for this one, Johnny, here. We, okay, so the kingdom of God is God's reign, meaning his authority, his rule, his presence. Through God's people, who are those who love and trust him, over God's place, the entire scope, of God's creation. So when we think about God's kingdom, we are thinking about God's reign through God's people over God's place. And so to bring about this kingdom is what Jesus came to do. And Palm Sunday is rich with kingdom significance. I love the way Dallas Willard puts it, though, because he challenges us to expand how we often think about God's kingdom. And Dallas Willard says this. He says, we should not reduce the saving work of Christ to his death on the cross, or we will miss the fullness of God as he is in himself and as he provides for us and all of his creation. There is so much more to our relationship with God than just his dealing with our guilt and sin. Once we have been forgiven, we are meant to live in the fullness of life that Jesus came to give us. And what I love about what Dallas Willard does there is he expands our view of what God's kingdom actually is and what Jesus is doing when he came to earth. And this is the beautiful picture that we've been invited into throughout our time in Lent, right? We have seen often that the themes of these lectionary readings have been pointing out the generosity of God, 
the faithfulness of God, the covenant-making God, this fullness of life that God wants us to see him bringing about on earth. But not everyone saw things this way. Near the end of the Palm Sunday story, we hear about the religious leaders of the day who were not super impressed with the noise and the fanfare of Jesus. And so in an effort uh, to keep the peace and maintain the status quo, right, and we have to think about, you know, the religious leaders are, are ruling the, the, uh, the Jews in a particular context, right? In this context, Rome is king. And they are the ones who are in control. And Rome is not particularly keen on anyone who's going to challenge their authority. And so when Jesus and his disciples and his followers march into Jerusalem, a place of Roman occupation, saying that there's a new king in town, this could end up pretty bad. And so the, the, the religious leaders, they say to his, Jesus, tell your disciples, keep it down. We don't want to disrupt what's going on here. We want to keep the peace and the little peace that we do have, the freedom that we do have to be able to worship. Don't mess this up. And Jesus responds by saying, if they keep silent, the stones will cry out. To the Pharisees, to those who are seeking to manage what God is doing, he essentially says to them, you think you can stop this? You think you can somehow control the kingdom of God spreading on earth? You think you can manage God's kingdom? Think again. Now, I was, I was thinking about a good illustration to capture what is going on here, and so I immediately thought of the movie Cool Runnings. So there's a, there's a clip that I, I want to show you from this movie that captures, I think, what Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom here. Johnny, if you can pull this up for, for us. Ready, little man? Ready, big man? Get the lucky egg. You just walk Let's go. On your mark. Feel the rhythm. Feel the rhyme. Get on up. It's push guard time. And go. Santa Claus! 
Franca. You dead? Yeah, man. Oh. Thank yourself. So I want to invite you to imagine the kingdom of God as the Rasta rocket. There is no stopping a moving pushcart. <laughs> the Pharisees can't stop it. Rome can't control it. It has a momentum that none of us can get in the way of. Instead, Jesus invites us to participate in it. We can so easily find ourselves in the Pharisees' shoes, right? Forgetting about how God's kingdom works. And so Jesus, in this little response to the Pharisees, saying, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out, he points out to us three important things about God's kingdom. That God's kingdom is big, that God's kingdom starts small, and that God's kingdom is good news for us today. So first, God's kingdom is big. I find it really fascinating that when the Pharisees come to ask Jesus uh, uh, to tell his disciples to keep it down, he doesn't respond in the way that we would imagine. He doesn't say to them, well, if, if they keep silence, some other people, you know, are going are gonna to take their place. Or, you know, I've got, I've got fans that you aren't even aware of, Pharisees, that, that you can't keep them all silent. They love me too much. Or, you know, it, it all started when I did that healing. You know, then it was just game over. So you just can't. No, he, what he does is he takes this an opportunity, as an opportunity to expand the view of God's kingdom. He doesn't leave it at the human level. Right? He brings in other parts of creation into the conversation. He says, if they keep silent, the stones will cry out. One Bible scholar uh, named Fred Craddock, he puts it like this. He says this, that the stones would shout is, of course, a figure of speech. But the expression does remind us that in biblical understanding... The creation is involved in events that we tend to think affects humans alone. It's a bigger picture than what we often imagine. And Craddock goes on to suggest, he says, he says that Genesis tells us that the sin of Adam and Eve caused the earth to produce thorns, part of creation. Isaiah sings a reign of peace on earth when cows and bears will graze together, and the lion and the lamb will lie down side by side. Matthew says a star, a special star, appeared to announce Jesus' birth, and the earth shuddered, cracked, and, and, and cracked when Jesus died. All of this dramatic language reminds us that something that we often forget, that all of life is from God, the whole universe shares together in the curse and the blessing, the life and the death, and in the final reign of God. This is so true. We often forget that God's kingdom is so much bigger than we imagine. It involves everything. So Jesus is describing God's kingdom like an iceberg, right? When you see an iceberg, you know that what's on the surface is only part of it, right? There's so much more going on beneath the surface of the water. For us, God is involved in so much more than we often imagine. God, God's kingdom includes the places that we least expect, the people that we have written off, and the parts of our lives that we 
like to make up our own rules for. Jesus is challenging us to look under the water and to see the whole universe, the entire scope of our lives as a place where God's authority rests. A good question for us to consider this morning is, do, do we imagine God's kingdom to be as big as Jesus does? Do we imagine God's kingdom as big as Jesus does? Do we expect God's reign to exist in all the corners of our city and our lives? If we really believe that God's kingdom is, right, that definition that I shared at the beginning, God's reign through God's people over God's place, what happens when we fail to see how big God's place really is? We miss opportunities to participate with God in making all things new. This week, as I was reflecting on this passage myself, I, I asked myself some questions, right? Do, do I listen to my king and what he says about how I should live as a person in his kingdom? Do I listen how he teaches me to worship or to gather together with other believers? Do I listen to him about how seriously I care for and foster environmental stewardship? Do I listen to him about what he says about Sabbath and rest? Do I listen to him in how he calls me to cultivate a generous heart? On that last one, I, I realized this week that I am continually learning how to be radically generous with what's God, what God has given me. And this week, I even found my, him pointing out to me places in my life where I act out of a stingy and self-protective heart. Right? There's places where I'm not responding to people or needs with the generosity of God. God is inviting me to move from a place of emptiness to a place of fullness. Where is he doing that to you? The second point is that God's kingdom starts smaller. So when Jesus responds to the Pharisees, he says to them, if they keep silent, the stones will cry out. If they keep silent, who are they? Well, Jesus here is referring to the crowds, right? The people who have been following him, the people who are his disciples. They shout as the children did on their way in. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But if we fast forward a few short days, right, they we, can we can see that they clearly did not understand what Jesus was all about. Because they moved from a place of shouting Hosanna to calling out for his death sentence. The same people. It's the same people. But what strikes me about this is that Jesus, he knows this, right? He's already uh, shown us that he is able to read people's minds, right? We think of the this, this, uh, story of the, the Samaritan woman at the well. And so clearly Jesus knows the, that, that the crowds who are following him don't know what he's really about. But that doesn't seem to bother him. 
He doesn't think of them as second-rate disciples. He doesn't throw them under the bus. He doesn't push them to the side. Instead, he says, praise me. I think Jesus here is willing to give the benefit of the doubt when it comes to their beliefs about him. Because they got him right. They're praising the right person. They're praising Jesus. And I think this shows us how small the kingdom of God starts in us. So many times we think that we have to have all of our ducks in a row in order to be with Jesus, in order to be right with God. We have to believe all the right things. We have to know all the right answers. We can often get to a place where we think that our relationship with God depends on how much we know about him. But this is not true of the crowds. In, in fact, they're wrong about more than they are right. And we, we have to find ourselves in that same place. We have to see that we are probably wrong with a lot of things about Jesus that we think we're right about. We are like the crowds. We get him wrong all the time. We're constantly misunderstanding him. We're constantly rebelling against his authority in our lives. We're constantly trading, as we said in our confession, we're trading that praise for the condemnation. In some parts of our lives, we're saying to Jesus, come on, I love you, I, I trust you. And in other parts, we're saying, I know how to run the show. But the kingdom of God starts small. And just as Jesus doesn't cast the crowds out for getting things wrong, he doesn't cast us out either. We have to see that what really matters is that we get him right. That we stay faithful to him. See, this was the crowd's real downfall. Right? What, what moved them from praising him to condemning him was the fact that they wrote him off. They said, Jesus, you're challenging us too much. This is not what we're looking for. We're out. Can we stay with him? And this is where it starts. It starts with being challenged by him and seeing that as a good thing. Because I really am starting to learn as a Christian. And I know I've, there are so many here, especially today, who have been in a journey with Jesus for far longer than I have, who are far more experienced at this than I am, and who know this to be true, that Jesus will continue to challenge you until the day you die. He will always be asking you to give up your trust in yourself and put it on him because he wants to invite you into the fullness of life. And the fullness of life is when we experience the abundance of being in a relationship with him, of being completely dependent on our maker and our creator for everything, the one who gives us all things. We have to see that the kingdom of God starts small, but it starts with him, and it rests on who Jesus is, not who we are. But... The, the, the question that we come to, though, is can we trust him? Can we trust him? Why can we trust him? Why is he worth putting our whole lives on the line for? And I think this is the last point 
This morning, the kingdom of God is good news, but the kingdom of God is also something that shows us how good Jesus is as our king. See, often kings are not worthy of trust. We think of leaders that are portrayed in TV shows like House of Cards or The Crown or even the Globe and Mail newspaper where we see the flaws in leaders all the time. We know they're not perfect. We see them acting in selfish ways. We see them leading people, not in, in a way that leads to flourishing for all people. But the story of the Gospels tell us a different story. They show us the good king, the good king who sees everything and is willing to sacrifice it all for us. See, first we have to remind ourselves of the bigness and the, of the brokenness in the world and why Jesus came to save, save us in the first place. Right? We've been paying attention to this one line, if they are silent, the stones will cry out. And we have to see also that Paul, Paul tells us that in Romans 8.22 that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth up until the present time. Not only is God's kingdom bigger, but the brokenness in our world is so much bigger than we often think. When we minimize Jesus to just dying for our sin, we miss the fullness of his redemption. And also what he came to do. Nature, as one commentator says, nature is bent and awaits liberation. Nature, too, must be redeemed in order to praise God. Everything in our world is out of whack. Everything needs newness. And Jesus came in order to bring about that newness, that unstoppable pushcart. Right? Remember that scene from Cool Runnings? That God's kingdom is in our world, that it is breaking in and making all things new. And to do that, Jesus had to carry it all to the cross. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, the earth shook, the rocks broke open, the sun went dark. Everything on earth was a part of his death. Right? When he hung on the cross, he took on himself not just our brokenness, but the brokenness of the world. He took the weight of everything. Human, human beings and our sin, but also the, 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 the brokenness of the whole world. And three days later, he rose again from the dead. And so the resurrection and the resurrection body shows us that Jesus came and accomplished what he set out to do. If Jesus hadn't died, our world would not have been redeemed, would not have been set free from the liberation. But he did die. If Jesus did not rise again from the dead, then we would still be without hope because God's plan would not have worked. But Jesus did die. And he did rise again. And now he invites us to be a part of it. God's kingdom is on the move. It is big, it starts small, and it's good news for the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you don't write us off, that you invite us to participate with you, that your kingdom has a place for us, a job for us, that your reign involves your people over your place.
As we struggle along with this, God, give us your spirit that helps us. May we draw near to you, and may we be uh, filled with your spirit, sent out into the world to be agents of your kingdom, that we may participate with you in making all things new. Thank you that your kingdom is big. Thank you that it starts small, and thank you that it's good news. Amen.